All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner, joined by Rich Hoffman on this week's Sixers Beat, a part of the CLNS Media Network. And uh, it's here. You know, we have we we've been sort of waiting for free agency to be relevant for this team for well, the better part of all of our lifetimes. Um, I can't remember when was the last. Is it? Uh, let's see. Is Iguodala their last big Iguodala and Brand? Ooh, that's a that's ironic. Is Brand their last major free agent signing? That is ironic. They were both in the news recently yeah. for, for different reasons. Uh, yeah, I think did, yeah, I mean, Iguodala was just an extension, right? I think Brand is the, yeah. Brand is the, and that, that was the same season anyway. Yeah. Brand is the, two, I think 10, 10 years ago exactly, I think, 2008. So n- not a whole lot 11 years. of that. I can't count. Sorry. Activity typically at this time of year. Um, at least not in terms of signings. There was, of course, the pick swap trade, which we talked about in an article recently, but not a whole lot in terms of free agency signings. Sixers were very active uh, when free agency opened, and unlike some other deals, the Sixers moves were actually announced after free agency technically opened. The trade of Jimmy Butler for Josh Richardson, and then the signing of Al Horford. I guess... Where do we want to start off? Where do we even begin on this? We'll start off with how we always start off. How you doing, Rich? I'm good, man. And and I guess to your other question, um, where do we start? It, that's a lot to take in. Like that is, I, I mean, when if you could just like look back at the past twelve months, it's unbelievable <laughs> yes. how much change there has been. Uh, and while Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons are the uh, are still here, and I think you know there were a lot of takes today uh, along the lines of it was always about them. It's it's about these guys. Well, I mean, there's still a lot of stuff that has happened around them. That's uh, whew, that's that's pretty crazy. And I, I mean, the the team that they have ended up with now is um, fascinating. I guess. It's the way I'd, yeah. I'd put it. Yep. It is, you know, a year ago at this time, Robert Covington and Dario Saric were still on the team. They were pursuing Paul George and LeBron James in free agency. Landry Shamit was getting ready to go to Summer League. And we had no idea what the future held. Uh, obviously, LeBron and Paul George didn't come. The Sixers then quickly pivoted. In the fall, uh, Markel Fultz was still thought of as a prospect on the Sixers, a basketball prospect on the Sixers, and Anheis Pesechniks was still in the pipeline. So a lot has changed. You had the Jimmy Butler era. You had the Tobias Harris era, which is still here. Um, and now you have the Josh Richardson and Al Horford version. Um, and it really it, it has been a lot of versions of this team. Um, from the one that started last season, like we said, with Covington in charge and Markel Fultz as a starter, to the Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris version to now, this version, there is a lot of change. I think that was like the first thing that I thought about yesterday. It's like, well, in order to actually analyze this thing, there are a lot of different moving parts. And we're talking about the additions a lot, and we'll talk about them a lot in Richardson and Horford. But you also have to talk about the losses. Uh, in Butler and, and in Reddick, who has kind of been overlooked a little bit in everything that has gone on. So there's a lot to unpack. I guess, I guess let's start off first with, um, the Jimmy Butler trade. And 
you know, what they got back, when it seemed like this was a, a reality that this was, or at least a possibility that this would happen, and why we think it got to this point. Um, I guess I'll let you start off, and then we'll we'll go from there. It was a little bit surprising to me. I, I thought for um, for the reason that the Sixers needed Jimmy Butler, I thought Jimmy Butler needed the Sixers to have the role that that he wants and also play for a contending team. And it seems somewhere along the lines here, it became apparent that wasn't going to happen. And, you know, I I do think, um, you know, going into free agency, we talked about how we thought the best chance this team had to compete for a title this season was, uh, was to run it back with Jimmy and JJ. And then hopefully using, you know, your, your, your mid-level exception and bringing Mike Scott back and all that good stuff. Uh, as it turned out, they, I thought they pivoted pretty well in a, in kind of a weird, um, of a very strange roster construction. But, uh, yeah, I think it, it just seems like, you know, somewhere along the way they, they decided they, uh, J- Jimmy and the Sixers decided to split up. And, and uh, you know, I think Jimmy, the, the, the talk is that people don't want to hear about, uh, how all he wants to do is win. And he's going to go to a team in Miami that is not going to win at a super high level. Probably be a playoff team. But, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I, I think what maybe we should have looked at going into the, the free agency maybe put more stock into was how much the Sixers gave up for Jimmy Butler compared to Tobias Harris. And, you know, I think Robert Covington and Dario Saric, you know, we've, (laughs) we're on the record. We think those guys are in particularly Covington is a very good player on an excellent contract. And, uh, but they gave up more for Tobias Harris and Landry Shamit and those two picks, I think just, just had more value. And, you know, whether it was kind of the, the Sixers who, who wanted Butler to gone, you know, there's been conflicting info about that. You know, did they offer him the five year max? Did, did he deny the five year max? You know, was it three years? Um, whatever happened, there was, there was enough of a disconnect there where, uh, where Jimmy's gone. And I think, uh, you know, they pivoted nicely, but yeah, I'll stick with my point at the beginning that, uh, the best version of this team this season would have had him on the team. Yeah. So I think, I think here's what, here's, I guess I'll get sort of like my stronger opinion out of the way and then we can work back, back from there. I think Josh Richardson is more valuable than what the Sixers gave up to get Jimmy Butler. I think he's more valuable than Robert Covington and Dario Scharch, uh from an asset and a team building standpoint. Great you know, contract, and, and man. Part of that is that, as much as Dario was fun, I was not looking forward to giving him that next contract that he's going to get. So I didn't value Dario as much as an asset as most people did. I did value Robert Covington a lot, and I made that known pretty loudly. You know, I don't think Josh Richardson is as good of a defender as Covington. A different defender, moves his feet better on the perimeter. But I think Covington is a better overall defender. But I think 
Richardson has a lot fewer weaknesses and has more upside. And I don't expect like Josh Richardson to become a an all-star. I don't expect him to become your primary offensive scorer on the perimeter, but he has a much better dribble drive game. He's a better decision maker with the ball. He has more scoring instincts, more scoring touch. You can he he can shoot better off the dribble. Um I think he's going to bring more certainly when his shot isn't falling because I think as a shooter he's similar to Covington in a way that he's a little bit streaky and that sometimes he'll look really good shooting from deep and sometimes he will be off. But he doesn't he doesn't take as much off the board as Covington when he's going through those, you know, those 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 slumps. Um I think he's I think Sixers fans are going to like him a lot and I think if you look at it just from a where they started, you know, it's hard for me to call the Jimmy Butler trade a mistake when I think they're in a better position now than they would have been before the trade made or was made. So I I I, I like that. Yeah, but it's, I think it's funny to think about that, right? Because the the idea of you know these teams that uh, you know Houston and Miami that were so desperate for a star that couldn't sign them, you know, just having Jimmy Butler on your team and willing to leave and go there turned out to be a pretty good asset. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I think the other thing I would say, you know, when we we sort of made the run it back discussions and about how the deepest version of this team was the one where they ran it back with Butler, with Harris, with Reddick. That was mostly looking at free agents and using that cap space for free agency. And maybe this is a part that maybe we weren't creative enough. Maybe it's just that it's hard to predict who would be interested in the sign and trade and what they'd be willing to give up. Like there's a lot, it's a lot easier to predict free agent signings than it is other teams interest in a trade. So when I said that, I wasn't really analyzing every potential sign and trade that would be out there. So I think when I look at this, and this is sort of like my stronger take, I would rather have Josh Richardson, who basically has two years left in 21 million. He's got a third year player option. There's no chance, barring an injury, there's no chance he's going to pick that up. But I'd rather have him on the two years he has left and the next three years of his next deal than Jimmy Butler over, over a five year contract, over a five year, $190 million contract. I think you know, whether or not the Sixers quote unquote lowballed Butler and didn't give him more than four years or whether Butler just walked even after the Sixers offered him five. And there's been some conflicting reports. Um, Adrian Wojnarowski said, I believe he said that the Sixers didn't even offer a three year max or a four year max, much less a five year max. And then you had Tom Haberstroh from NBC Sports and Kyle Newbeck from Philly Voice saying that the Sixers did offer the five year max. And I guess what I would say is that there would be reasons both sides of this of this equation would lie. So I'm not sure we truly know. Um, but almost regardless, I don't care too much because I think this is a better outcome with Richardson at his contract and his age and his personality type and his acceptance of his role over the next five years than I, I with Jimmy Butler. And that doesn't mean I think he's a better player. That doesn't even mean I think he's going to be a better player. Well, he might be a better player in three years. It depends on how Jimmy Butler ages. But it's, it's, I think with that contract and with that locker room dynamic, I'm more willing to make that bet than I am on Jimmy Butler at five years, 190. And it's a big difference in contract too. So I, I think where they ended up was a really good position actually. Like I think whether, like I said, whether they're forcing this or not, I think this is a really good spot to be in. And by having a $10 million Josh Richardson rather than a $33 million Jimmy Butler, What's well, I mean, it quite literally turned into $22 million. You could go out and spend 
in this instance on Al Horford, which we'll get to, but it's it's virtually the same contract in two people that it would have been for one. So this doesn't really hurt your depth the way not running it back could have in other ways. Yeah, and that, that's true. Uh, I, I'm gonna, I, I might disagree with you a little bit on on the Butler aspect. I, I do think Richardson on his contract is in a vacuum. It, it's more appealing than than paying Butler that money. On this team trying to win a championship, though, with with these players specifically, I I, th- I think they're gonna miss Jimmy Butler. So I mean, uh, well, first of all, I think I think they are. Um, I don't think they necessarily, although I, again, when you phrase a question as Butler and Reddick or, or Richardson and Horford, I think it becomes a little bit more interesting of a question, but I agree that they're going to miss his skill set a lot. And I think Butler back on his team would have helped them from a title contention standpoint this season. But I think when I start factoring, and this isn't like, I think if you go back and you listen to our podcast before, both at the time when Butler was acquired or Butler was on the trading block, and I, I, I sort of – I think how I phrase it is it's giving Jimmy Butler a five-year max contract is you're, – you're terrified whether Butler's going to accept the contract or walk to, walk away. Either one was sort of terrifying. And you listen to the recent podcast, and we felt almost boxed in. And part of that is because I'm not sure how Jimmy Butler is going to age. And part of that said, I'm just not sure, you know, I think Sixers fans really wanted to buy into like great teammate Jimmy Butler. Yeah. And look, was I, like, I think when I'm covering him, I tried to give him the benefit of the doubt, not let his past reputation weigh down and just judge him based on how, how he was when he was here. And outside or after February, we, there hasn't been anything reported that would suggest he was anything but a good teammate. But does that mean that given his history and his personality type that I was, and the sort of conflicting roles between Butler and Simmons, that I was a hundred percent confident that after he got a, a five year max contract that he was going to be a, a perfect teammate and an ideal teammate over the next five years? No, I wasn't. And you know, I, you felt sort of boxed in with the options that the Sixers had. You didn't see how they could be a contending team this year and next year. While letting someone with his skill set walk, and you sort of bit the bullet over the final three years of that contract if the first two or three were good, I think this is a pretty good way of sort of keeping that short-term upside there while maybe gambling long-term on somebody you're a little more comfortable with. And I'm uh, certainly from if we're if we're looking at sort of this free agency so far as two different things: the Butler and and Richardson aspect and the Horford aspect. I'm pretty comfortable with the, the the first part of this yeah I, I think that's true that uh that you can feel more comfortable that there won't be any locker room blow-ups or you know if if there is a locker room blow-up it's going to be with one of the guys who was already here um yeah i i can't deny you on that i think you know J- jimmy that would have been scary you know, especially as his game aged yep and Perhaps a player usurped his role maybe as kind of the closer at the end of games. That – I'm not going to deny you on that. That that would have been a, a little bit scary. Uh, it's – I mean the, the change too. I think, you know, I guess we can touch on JJ for a second before we get to Horford. You kind of knew right away when at 6 o'clock Woj said uh, 
that JJ was going to the Pelicans, obviously that had been taken care of in advance. And I, I think the, you know, you said it on Twitter and it was everybody's first thought who had kind of looked at the, uh, the salary cap, the, the potential machinations the Sixers could have done this summer. When, when JJ was gone, you figured, well, at least one of Jimmy or Tobias is probably gone because it really doesn't make sense to not, not bring him back. Even at that price, uh, maybe a little bit more than I thought he was going to get here, but not, you know, also, you know, we were talking about it today. I think there's a chance he probably would have taken a little less to stay here. Um, the, uh, uh, it's just that the total, uh, the outlook of this team, it, it might be similar, but the, uh, the way it's going to look stylistically, I think we kind of talked about how, uh, how that starting five at the end of the year was somewhere, it was a group that bad defenders on other teams, there was nowhere to hide. And now I look at this group and, you know, with Richardson, who is certainly not Redick running off screens and, uh, and with Horford playing the four, it's, it's a lot more challenge offensively, but on the, on the bright side, I don't really know who you attack when you're playing offense against this team. And I mean, I think the answer is clearly Tobias Harris, but that's pretty good when he's your fifth worst defender. And there's, there's, you know, I I think we'll get to sort of the outlook of this team in a bit. Um, because I kind of want to go through the transactions themselves and then we'll get to the more larger scope outlook. But I certainly think this team has pretty serious strengths. And I think this team has, you know, a pretty major deficiency, which we will, which we will get to. I guess just sort of wrapping up the, the, the Butler thing. You know, I hear a lot of, you know, his skill set didn't fit with Ben Simmons. And on some level, I, I agree with that. Like, I think, you know, taking the ball out of Ben's hand is tough when you don't know what to then do with Ben off the ball. Like putting him in the dunker spot, we talked about it all playoffs, especially in that second round, it didn't really work. And his lack of shooting off ball is a huge issue. That is especially true when Butler is on the court. And then Butler's lack of shooting is an issue when Ben's running the the offense. Sort of my my counter to that is that there's almost always going to be a time when you're going to want to pair another shot creator, another perimeter shot creator, and probably a pick and roll ball handler with Ben Simmons. Like what? And this sort of touches onto what you were talking about earlier: the lack of you know dribble, the, the lack of ability to dribble. Uh, the lack of shot creation from the perimeters, I think this team's one glaring weakness. And I think you're, whether that's Jimmy Butler, and Jimmy Butler's not the perfect one to pair with Simmons because he's not a willing and really all that capable catch and shoot player. Uh, he's not a, you know, even when he runs a pick and roll, he's more looking to probe and get into the, the, the teeth of the defense rather than he is looking to, you know, really pass out of it or pull up from the perimeter so that spacing becomes a little more pronounced. And also because there's that personality where if Butler feels like he's not getting the ball enough, not only, you know, is he not the greatest floor spacer off the ball, but he also might voice his opinion loud and clear about how he feels about his role. So I think you would want a better shooter, um, if you're, if, if you're pairing it with Simmons and, and a guy a little more willing to, to accept the role than Butler has shown throughout 
various portions of his career. So it's not a perfect fit in terms of skill and personality, but I all, I do think they're still going to want a someone who has a skill set like what Butler gave them. They're going to want someone else who can create from the perimeter. So I think Ben Simmons is always going to have to get that. Just give me an 18-foot baseline catch-and-shoot jumper, something that you, you can make yourself a threat off the ball. I think that's still very much a need of him, and I think this is going to be a need of the team to get somebody else who can create. Yeah, it's, it's, I mean, you said we didn't want to talk about the, the overall, uh, team outlook, but that's, in, no, I, I, that, that's fair. That's, that's a fair point. That's the biggest question is, is how do you replace Jimmy Butler's skill set? And I think the other thing too is, you know, cause if you kind of look back, um, a couple of years, we were talking, I was talking about Reddick earlier. One of the ways they would manufacture offense two years ago when they didn't have the Jimmy Butler, or even the Tobias Harris level creator. And, you know, I, I guess we can get into him next, but they, they would manufacture it by JJ's movement off the ball. And that, that yep. was one of the ways they would do it. I guess, uh, let, let's, let's, let's go ahead and go to Reddick since he was technically the yeah. first move of the night and you segued into him nicely. What was it? Two years, 27 million. I think he got from the Pelicans. You know, I think the 13 and a half mil annual salary isn't all that surprising. I think. What you would have been hoping for if you were the Sixers is either a 13 mil one year deal or a, a smaller two year deal, um, a discount for a little more security. So it was more than I would have expected. Like you said, I wonder if he, given his like of the team and the system and playing with Joel and the proximity to New York and just his, his desire for, you know, co- coming back to a familiar environment, if you could have gotten him on less, could you have gotten him on 224 or 222 or something of that sort? Like how much of a discount would he have been willing to give you? And I do think that if, you know, basically now his contract that he got right now, if the Sixers would have fully ran it back with Butler and Harris on max deals, then the apron would have been difficult. And I, the reason I said that once he signed that deal and signed it so quickly, that I felt like it was a, a a real sign that the Sixers weren't going to run it back is because if they had to choose, I think they would have let Mike Scott go for room under the apron than they would have with, uh, with, with, with JJ. So I did take that as a sign, and it happened real early in free agency, and we can read into that about whether or not they really wanted to bring Jimmy Butler back. You know, I, I think one thing that we, we sort of remarked on is they, I think they certainly knew by 6 o'clock that Butler was gone. Now, whether that means that, you know, they had heard that he was really preferred Miami or they just weren't all that interested, you can debate yourself, but I think they knew he was gone, um, and they were, you, you know, they were moving on. So I do think Reddick is going to be a big loss. Um, I think a lot of people, yeah, we get it. His defense wasn't great. By the way, it didn't really kill them in the playoffs in either series, really, this season. No. You know, they hit him no. pretty effectively. Danny Green could not post him up at all. No, he couldn't. And, and to be fair, Joe Harris just missed a lot of open three. He did. But, <laughs> but JJ still it's... played them very well. They were a little bit better yeah. about not switching everything and being selective when they do. And, and JJ hedged fine. And they, they did a lot of things to sort of cover him up, which shows you that, you know, if you have somebody like Danny Green you can hide him on, you can minimize the impact. Um, whereas someone like Boston, who had a bunch of players who physical athletic players who could take you off the dribble is a little more difficult. So it's a little matchup dependent. But I think my biggest concern with Reddick, besides just shooting, you know, I think the Sixers right now lack the elite shooter that they had before, but they maybe have a little more shooting depth or at least fewer non-shooters. But really that off-ball movement, 
that two-man game with Joel Embiid. This is a team that right now has so few ways to get Joel Embiid easy looks that he doesn't have to create for himself. And that is maybe my biggest concern with this the construct of this team right now. J.J. was really the one person in the half court that because of the gravity he had coming off of those dribble handoffs, he could get Embiid an easy roll to the rim, a real easy look at the basket that he didn't have to fight tooth and nail to get, that he didn't have to risk a turnover to get. And I think the Sixers are going to miss that. And I get a lot of J.J.'s limitations. You know, I think some people are like, well, he can't create his own shot. And I think that's borderline nonsense. Like when you run around screens the way he does, that is creating your own look. It's just different than off the dribble that we normally associate it with. But I do think the gravity that he had is going to be a a pretty big factor for Embiid. And they're going to need to find a way to sort of replicate that in other actions. I would love to, uh, to hear Embiid on true serum. What he thinks about JJ leaving because I, I mean, I, I think he, he knows better than anybody how good Al Horford is. And, you know, I, it'll be interesting to see what, you know, how they fit together and all those things. But he loved JJ Redick. He loved playing with him. He was, you know, he said he was one of his best friends on the team. Um, you know, I, I'm just thinking back to, uh, the, the time that, uh, he said that he got sick because Redick, uh, came back after a game, game off and, and Redick was sick and, and Bede was so happy to see him. He was like, I gave him a hug. I, I shook his hand and little, little did he know that Redick was like carrying like a pretty nasty fever or cold or something with him. And, you know, that was right around the trade deadline and Embiid was sick for basically a week. Anyway. Just a stupid little anecdote because I think, uh, I think the, the line there was Embiid eventually texted Redick FU, uh, after, after he got him sick, um, to just kind of show that he really like loved playing that two man game with him. I think he, he kind of enjoyed it. Um, I, I certainly enjoyed watching it. It's funny. I, I think, you know, seeing some of the comments about Sixers with some Sixers fans about Redick, People didn't really enjoy watching him all that much. I, I, I'm not, I'm going to be honest. I loved watching him. <laughs> I thought, you know, just, just watching him move off those screens and all of the pressure that put on a defense. I, I loved watching. And now with, uh, with Richardson, they have a much better two way player that, that as much as we said that JJ's, uh, defense didn't hurt them in the playoffs that bad this past year. Richardson is somebody you don't have to hide at all. Uh, and that's, that's important. I don't want to pretend it isn't. But yeah, he's not, you know, he does a little bit off movement, but I do think like, man, with this team, and I agree, they have capable shooters, three of them around and beating Simmons, but they do not have the sniper who you have to pay attention for, uh, pay attention to at all times. Like, you know, I said this in my, uh, in my piece today. I think that was the first, you know, the Redick and Bede two-man game was the first thing on the opposing scouting report. Even with Jimmy Butler, even with Tobias Harris, I think the first thing teams had to game plan for was, all right, what the hell are we going to do against this? And uh it's going to be different, you know. Um And I, look, I, I think getting about 10 years younger with uh, the shooting guard position is probably a good thing in the long run. But uh, J.J. Redick was a good fit with this team, and uh, it's going to be tough to replace what he did. Yep, 
All right, so let's move on to the other main edition in Al Horford. This one was one that, you know, I think a lot of Sixers fans, you know, we started talking about this a little bit early, and I think a lot of Sixers fans were not happy to hear that uh, and called us not nice things because I don't think they wanted Al Horford on a four-year, $100 million-plus contract. You know, this is one of those things where I can't remember when we first started hearing the Sixers connected to Horford. Um, you know, it's certainly, I would say, Friday, I had heard a lot of executives around the league believe that it was the Sixers as the mystery team. And by Saturday, early Saturday, it was not something I was comfortable reporting, uh, but it was certainly something I was comfortable writing about, which can, is... Can I stop yep. Can I stop you for one yep. minute? Yep. Uh, re- real quick, what do you make about them being the mystery team? Uh, and I mean, I, I make that they knew that, that Butler was leaving for quite some time. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the answer. But I, I was saying more in terms of there, there have been a lot of moves this off season where I don't think they were necessarily figured out on this uh, on this one. And it certainly seems like I mean they paid less than what the uh, the rumored contract was. But they <laughs> there have been a lot of moves that I, I don't want to say they've been telegraphed this off season, yeah. but. Uh, you know, I, I don't think it necessarily came out of nowhere here. No, they, I mean, this definitely, definitely didn't come out of nowhere. Um, we had heard for a, a couple days connecting the Sixers to them. And like I said, that chatter by, by Friday night, Saturday morning was, was pretty strong. Um, and like I said, it's not something I, I would have felt comfortable reporting as this is something the Sixers will do, but it was certainly something where I felt that there was a, a strong probability that the Sixers had interest. And that sort of, you know, we, I mean, you had an Al Horford, Fit piece, pretty much ready to go. Um, I had written about trading Josh Richardson or Butler for Josh Richardson and using the remaining cap space for Al Horford on Saturday morning. Um, those didn't necessarily come out of nowhere. Uh, so I think that speculation was, was pretty, it, it was, they were pretty well connected, um, to the point where when it was being reported that the Kings were interested in him, that we had heard that the, I mean, it, the Kings were pretty confident they were not going to get him despite the fact they had a, a pretty strong offer. So we've had a little bit of time to think about this pairing, and it's an interesting pairing. You know, on the one hand, your backup center spot is solved. Like you do not have – I mean, you have there, – there aren't – if you're looking at it, and I don't know how much you're going to stagger him. Um, you know, the Sixers just signed Kylo Quinn, a one-year veteran minimum, $2.1 million for a seven-year vet. He'll count $1.6 million against the cap since it's a one-year deal. They have Jonah Bolden, obviously, a young player to sort of develop. So they have some options. They they even used Ben Simmons and Mike Scott at various points there, which may work occasionally in the regular season, but we saw against a really good drive-and-kick offense like the Raptors. It was not going to work in the playoffs, but they have some options. So may, you know maybe Al Horford doesn't get 16 minutes a game at backup center. But in the playoffs, when you need someone who can still be a good team defender, and keep you competitive when Embiid sits for a couple of minutes. You have that solved now. Obviously, a $97 million guarantee would be an expensive way to solve a backup center situation. So the, he is going to play a lot of time alongside Joel Embiid. And I think that's where, you know, a lot of reporting has come out recently that that is something Al Horford was interested in and something that he wanted was to play 
more alongside of a natural center and play as a power forward. I think there is a lot to like about that defensively, which is, I think, maybe a little weird to think. I th- think I don't think people give Al Horford enough credit, not only for how smart of a defender he is, but how versatile of a defender he is. You know, he is a guy, you're not going to ask him to chase like Kemba Walker, like Jimmy Butler did at various points. But this is a guy who defended Ben Simmons one-on-one two years ago. This is a guy who who defended Giannis this past season and did so credibly and and, and really held his own. And does that mean that he's going to be able to do that for the entirety of this contract? No. Like, you know, a lot of people have said, well, he's got a game that age, that will age well. And first of all, I agree with that, especially as a center. But I think the way I would phrase that is he has a game which has already aged well. <laughs> and we will see how yeah. much longer he can hold that off. Um, you know, a guy who just turned 33, like there is going to be a point where chasing guys on the perimeter is going to become more difficult. And we'll see how long he can stave that off for. But it, it's something to be concerned about for a four-year deal that will take him through his age 36 season. But right now for this season, I expect them to be a very good defensive team. Like could be top five, could be top three in the league defensively. Like they just have a lot of quality defenders who can't be picked on and who are smart defenders and with some versatility. You know, I think – like I said, Horford's not going to be chasing around like quick ball handlers on the perimeter, but you, you can, he, anyone who can defend the center spot and also defend Giannis somewhat credibly is, is going to have a lot of value. I think the questionable fit part comes in a little bit offensively. And, you know, for Al, who wanted to play power forward, well, right now, I think where he adds the most value offensively is as center. a center. Um, and I think it's, it's pretty, pretty drastic in that regard. So while I think def- defensively, especially in the first couple of years of that contract, he certainly has has more than the capability of defending the power forward spot and doing so at a very good level. Offensively, I don't think you're going to maximize his shooting. I don't think you're going to maximize his passing, um, especially when you're going to run so much of your offense through Joel Embiid in the post. Uh, if you wanted to get shooting at that four spot, there was, I mean, you, you don't need a, a, a guy who can play center to do that. There's a lot of, you know, stretch fours, um, perimeter fours, three fours. We could call it whatever the hell you want, but there's a lot of, with the way the NBA is training, there's a lot of options there. Um, I'm going to like Al Horford a lot defensively. I'm going to worry about, uh, whether or not this team has enough ball handlers and shot creators offensively. And I think that's really the, um, there's going to be two pretty distinct uh, strengths and weaknesses of this team. Yeah, I, I love the player just in a, in a vacuum. I, I don't think uh, – what, what is it? It's 25 or I guess we we don't know exactly what the number is with these these championship bonuses or – So uh, I, I guess I'll just get this out here. Um, there's been a lot of speculation about this contract. What I initially heard when the contract was signed – was that the so the report is four years, ninety seven million guaranteed, one hundred nine million total or possible, and Adrian Wojnarowski of ESPN, who's usually spot on with all of this, reported that the twelve million dollars remaining comes in unlikely roster bonuses or unlikely bonuses based around whether or not the Sixers win a championship. And what I had heard is that the $12 million comes in a partial guarantee of the fourth year of that contract. And I had that reiterated to me by a source today. So what is, like, what, what, what's the key difference there? I guess 
And an unlikely, unlikely roster bonus, those unlikely roster bonus do not count against the cap. They would count against the apron calculation, but not against the cap, not against the luxury tax payments. So in order to get $97 million, you would have to start at a little over $22 million starting salary for the 2019-20 season. But in order to get to a potential $109 million contract with a partial guarantee of the fourth year, you'd have to start that a little bit higher, a little over $25 million. So you'd lose about $3 million if it's a partial guarantee for the fourth year over what it would be if it was the um, unlikely bonus of winning a championship. The benefit is that, well, then the final season of that contract, the fourth year, which is probably the one that a lot of people would be worried about for a 33-year-old big man, would not be fully guaranteed. And if he had... Um, you know, falling off of a cliff, something happened where his productivity had dropped in a, in a major way, you could recoup some of that that money. Um, and again, like I said, I'd had this reiterated to me again, and I'm interested to see exactly what the numbers come in at when, when sort of dust settles, because that does then impact how much room the Sixers have left to play with. I was told that, you know, Mike Scott's contract, the Two years, $9.8 million, I believe it was, is using the room level exception. So what that means is the Sixers would renounce Mike Scott and then sign him to a two-year deal after uh, afterwards using the room mid-level exception. And so if, if, if what I'm told is true and it is a partial guarantee of the fourth year, not the roster bonuses making up the final $12 million of Al's contract, that means the Sixers would have about $5 million to play with if they renounced everyone that was left, like TJ, um, things of that sort. And if I'm speculating, and this is, this is only me speculating, it's only me trying to connect the dots. But if I'm speculating the reason to um, use the room on Mike Scott, you know, one of the benefits you could do is then, because a room mid- mid-level exception is limited to, this is terrible fucking podcast. Like, nobody wants to hear about these things. But I'm, I, I started, so I'm going to end it. A room mid-level exception is is limited to a two-year contract. If you wanted to use, if you knew you were going to sign Mike Scott to a two-year contract, anyway, use a room mid-level on him, and then you could sign other people to a four-year contract. Maybe, I don't know, Shake Milton. Uh, that's just me. Again, that's not me reporting that. Um, that's me throwing that out there as a hypothetical. But that might be the route these Sixers are going. Again, speculation there on the Shake Milton part. I teed you up on that one. I'm sorry. Uh, I don't even. By, what were we talking by, about? We were talking about Al Horford, right? Well, I said championship bonuses, oh, and I knew right, that would right, send right. you send you on your little your little but tangent there. Again, there's so been anyway, conflicting reports on this, um, but I have had a, a pretty well connected source now tell me twice that this was the case. So, regardless though of of what the number is, whether it's 22 or 25, that is not an overpay for Al Horford right now. He is still not at all. I. I, I, I would just say that the best way I could put it is he affects winning at a super high level. And it's funny because he's now going to be paired with a guy who's, I mean, who's obviously younger and has a, you know, a flashier game and better highlights. But Joel Embiid's best skill, the, the, the way I would sum him up is he affects winning at an insanely high level. Yep. And I think it's like you said, um, his at, in the playoffs especially his best work has been done as a center and you know i do wonder a little bit if we're coming at this from the sixers perspective a little bit too much in that 
Al Horford, as we've said a million times, played Embiid better than anybody. And it was twofold. It was, number one, he was strong enough to hold up one-on-one against him in the post. Sometimes the Celtics would send a little bit of help, but not not really. And and he was strong as a freaking bull, and he could, you know, Joel could not just bully him in the way he can bully 80% of the league. You know, if if Jared Allen is on one end of the spectrum, Al Horford is on the other one. Uh, and then on the other end, like you said, the Celtics would play him at center. And with either Kyrie Irving or Terry Rozier, by the way, who just signed the worst contract of a free agency to start. Good job, Charlotte. Uh, they would run pick and roll with Al Horford as kind of the stretch five. And that was such a bitch for Embiid to guard. He, he couldn't do it either. You know, Horford does not have the quickest release in the world, which I think, like you were saying, he's not necessarily the type of sniper, uh, I don't know, like Nikola Miritich or, or the traditional stretch four, even Ilyasova or, or somebody, uh, is. But with, with the amount of space Boston would give him, you know, playing five out, he would either shoot that three or he would pump fake and Embiid would go right by him. And then Horford would either, you know, he'd drive and either lay the ball in or if somebody helped, he'd make the right decision with the pass. It was, it was super impressive. So what he does now, as a four is interesting. I will say the other thing too, uh, being able to uh, manage Embiid's minutes, it's it's key. Like it I think key. it's great. Yep. Like I, and, you know, as much as uh, I wonder if they overpaid for something that's a luxury when they're going to have holes, you know, elsewhere on the roster. Although the Richardson trade really does help, it really does help plug one of those holes up a little bit. But they're certainly their uh their guard and their wing depth is gonna be unproven. But you know, it, when Embiid said at the end of the year, he was like, Look, I'm willing to sit if you have players that are good enough where where I trust that we're gonna be okay. Well, you know, we'll see what happens with those guards and wings. But he certainly knows they're not gonna suck because of the center. Because Al Horford is overqualified for that. I also think too, you know, with the way the Sixers stagger, and this is gonna be fascinating to me. I hope we, uh, we get all of the, uh, the players and I'm going to try and write a piece kind of predicting the, uh, the Sixers rotations. The fit between Horford and Ben Simmons yep. on second units, man, I think that could be pretty nice. Well, I mean, I, th- it's, I think it's pretty clear that that's going to be one of the staggers, uh, because you've, I mean, Brett's always staggered Horford, or not Horford, he, hello. Uh, he's always staggered Simmons and Embiid and you're For the most part, naturally yeah. going to stagger and be in Horford because Horford's your, your your most capable backup center. So I I I I agree. I agree. They they changed it a little bit last year right. when when they got all five of those guys. But yes, for for most of the time here, Ben and Joe, the, that's been the rule. Two two alpha dogs. Uh, one of them's got to be on the floor at all times, which means they they spend a decent amount of time by themselves. Yeah. So I think that that's going to be a lot of. I think that's going to be really effective. Uh, you know and. Ben Ben has made it work with with much lesser players around him, so th- that'll be great. Uh, and certainly in a in a playoff game where Joel plays forty five minutes, a he won't need to play forty five minutes. And if he does play forty five minutes, they're not going to lose the other three minutes by twelve. Uh, we know that. So I, the question becomes, how do these guys make it work? And you know, 
looking at Ben Falk's numbers on cleaning the glass, Horford played more at the four during his three-year time in Boston than I thought. This year wasn't that much. I think it was only 9% of his minutes with Baines. But I think last year he played 44% of his minutes at the four. And, I mean, basically, regardless whether he played the four or the five, the Celtics were killing teams. So that's promising. But it's kind of like you said, uh, you know, it's a clunky fit. He's not a a sniper. It'll be interesting. I mean, the offense, I feel like, is going to have to be totally different because normally, you know, Horford would kind of play at the top of the key in the Sixers offense. But I also don't know, you know, if it's smart to put Tobias Harris in a corner at all times because he's really going to have to be one of your main uh main creators. I'll just say this. It's it's a clunky fit and it's I think there's a it's questionable to allocate all your money to uh to Al Horford because of that offensive fit. The the one the one thing I would say though is Al Horford is one of the smartest players I've ever seen. So, you know, if you do have a clunky fit, it is great to have that basketball IQ. But you know, I, I guess we can, you know, if you want, if you have anything else about Horford, but you, you can say it, but I, I am a little bit worried about how this team will score. And, and part of the reason is because they're playing two guys who are best at the five. I mean, you could, you could almost make the argument they're playing three guys offensively who are best at the five. If you think yeah. Ben Simmons would be best as, as sort of the tallest guy on the court surrounded by four shooters. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be an interesting fit offensively. Uh, going back to Horford, you know, you mentioned that he's not overpaid for this season, and I agree with that. Like he is, he is easily a twenty-two or twenty-five million dollar per year player. Uh, you know, if we had to rank who impacts winning more this year, I think he is a better player than Tobias Harris. And Tobias Harris obviously is getting paid more. Uh, Tobias Harris is twenty-seven, so he's more of your future core. But in terms of impacting winning this season and impacting a title run this season, I I think Al Horford does more to help a, a basketball team win. And again, apart and, and we'll see because of the fit. But I would argue it might not even be close. No, I don't. I don't think it particularly is. And I think, like you said, the fit and him maybe not being in his optimal offensive role might bring him closer back. But I still don't think it's particularly close. My biggest concern, and I think you were about to get to this, is no real perimeter shot creators, no real ball handlers, no one to really break down off the dribble, no one to come off the pick and roll. Uh, an over, Nobody. An over-reliance. Not even close. We were playing a game today at practice. Like, how many people deep do you have to get before, like, Zaire Smith is your best ball handler left? And it's, it's not too deep into the roster, um, which is not really saying too much about Zaire as much as it is saying about the rest of the roster. They just don't, it's not a skill set they have. And, and by the way, that's not the easiest skill set to acquire. And, and that's oh. where losing Butler hurts. Um, that is where this roster, you know, I, I saw a lot of people like, well, Butler's a better player than Harris. Why, why did you trade Butler and not Harris? Well, part of it's you're not getting Josh Richardson back for Tobias Harris. Um, uh, and part of it's because Butler's 30 and with that, um, personality that we talked about. So, you know, I think they're going to miss what he provided in that regard. They're going to miss what he provided in the playoffs, and they're going to have to try to scheme away 
to come around that because I do think this team could struggle at times. I do think they're going to ask Embiid to do a lot. And I think that could a limit Embiid's um, efficiency and b some of those turnover problems that he has to correct. He's not necessarily in the best spot to correct those. No, um, and I do agree with you in terms of you know when I was kind of thinking about would I have pivoted in this direction the way the Sixers have, and I was thinking well maybe they could have split their money up uh, to some more perimeter players. The problem is a lot of the guys who who I would have liked would not have given you the creation, right? Like I love Danny Green uh, and Patrick Beverly. They're not getting you a shot no. at the end of the game. Nope. Um, so I do kind of understand that. And Al Horford's a better player than those guys. Uh, you know, this team, I, I will say this, just my general thought on them right now. I think they have a chance to be a better regular season team than the, the run it back crew just because I, you said top three defense. They might be the best defense in the league. And that's just something you can rely on every night. Uh, I, there's just no weakness and having Horford and Embiid on the back line, that, that combination of just versatility, um, just smarts. It's just. There's just gonna be nowhere to hide. It's just I don't even know where you attack those guys uh, on the back line. And I mean, you think about it like when you play against a team like Milwaukee, now you have two guys who can guard Giannis. You know, so I think they're. I'm very excited to see what. Uh, I guess it's Ime Udoka's job to uh, to oversee that that defense and under Brett Brown's direction. I think that starting five has a chance to be awesome defensively. And and like you said, I, I wouldn't want Horford chasing around a uh, a Kemba Walker type, but he can move his feet pretty well on the perimeter. And I, I also think uh, Josh Richardson for guarding point guards, there's a chance he's a lot better than Jimmy Butler at that. Uh, so you know, and it's like it's like um, we kind of talked about last year. Jimmy Butler took I'm going to say weeks off defensively. There were, I mean, I remember yeah. there was a game in Sacramento. He really didn't care. I just pretty much that, anything that after the uh, the All Star game before the playoffs started, he took off defensively. Yeah, yeah. So I think they definitely have a chance to be a better regular season team. But yeah, it's like you said. I'm just worried when they get in the half court uh, of a playoff game. Who the hell is creating a shot? How are they doing it? Uh, is it? Are you going to have to just force feed the ball to Embiid? I, it's, it's not how really the, the modern game works, but, uh, you know, and that's, that's why this team is interesting because I, I think you, you can easily argue they have upgraded in talent and have gotten more versatile, but it, a lot of the playoffs can be who has the least amount of weaknesses. I certainly think this past playoffs was that Toronto to me was just the most well-rounded team. Didn't have the most superstars. Had the best player, but also had the best supporting cast as well. Um, and the Sixers have a fundamental weakness l- looking into the playoffs. But we c- we can talk about that later. But that's kind of my initial thought on the team. Yeah, and, and the thing with shot creation is, you know, I think a lot of I think shot creation gets a little bit overrated at times. Like it is the most easily identifiable skill, and so I think we overlook 
a player's other flaws if they have that very obvious skill in being able to create a shot. So I think that can lead it to being overrated by some. But I also think that because it's overrated, it's also difficult to find that cheaply. Like it's, it's, it's difficult to find a diamond in the rough shot creator because we scout those, we target those, we, 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 we go out and try to find those. So I think they're going to have their work cut out for them. You know, I do think they are, if we're talking about a, you know, in, 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 in some respects, you know, I think the move, I think when Al Horford was signed, my first reaction was, a, a lot like a lot of people. I, man, I really like Al, but that's a lot of money for a 33-year-old. It's a lot of money for a 33-year-old. And I think the more that it happened, the more I became okay with it. Part because, like you said, there's just something about betting on really smart basketball players and really well-rounded basketball players that I agree with. And I don't think Al's game is going to fall off of a cliff. Might the fourth year be problematic? Yeah, it might. But I don't expect like this year or next year to be particularly scary. Um, I do think he will continue to age well in relation to his, his age. Um, and there is something about spacing. And like I said, I think this team has fewer non-shooters, at least in its starting lineup than last year's team. And I think that will help and smart players with spacing, I think is good, but there is a, that one very big weakness. It did happen to be sort of one of the key skill sets why you would value Jimmy Butler. And I'm just not sure. I'm not sure Tobias Harris is going to grow into that. I'm not sure Ben Simmons in the half court is going to grow into that. And that does concern me. You know, I think the two best sort of like pick and roll ball handlers or the two best kind of dribble penetration guys are Tobias and Josh Richardson. But they're also like, you look at their free throw rates and they're anemic. And I think that's representative of just not being able to get all the way to the basket, not being able to get all the way to the rim, being a little bit reliant on pull-up jump shots and floaters. And I think that does, you know, speak to a weakness this team doesn't have. Like they don't have that guy that's going to get all the way into the defense, really set up a kick-out pass to shooters, going to get to the foul line. And I, I just worry that they're not going to have that in their arsenal in the playoffs when they need that. Um, but we do have a lot of season left. Like there is still free agency. To be had. Um, I don't think you're finding one of those guys for the minimum salary, but there's in the trade deadline. Like there's, I, I think one of the, and I'll, I'll sort of let you end on this. Well, and then we have to talk about the Pesetchniks era, era, era. Um, you know, I think, I think, uh, oh shit, I made a Pesetchniks joke, so now I can't remember where I was going with that. Um, uh, nope, I'm done. Go ahead. Um, How awful do you have to be a podcaster to just completely lose? Ah, go ahead. I hate myself. Me too. The uh, I, I do think – remember we were talking before the uh, free agency period how Tobias might have to sacrifice in terms of touches. Yep, not anymore. And in terms of role. Yeah, no. He's going to get every chance in the world to uh, – I, I mean they're – Brett Brown's going to tell him, "Hey man, you want seconds, thirds? Like we're we're going to keep running plays for you." Uh and it's it'll be interesting. It's uh I think we saw what he looked like as a third or a fourth option. I mean, if he's up to it, he could be the first option on this team. And uh yeah, it's it's like you said, I 
little little too many pull up jumpers at the free throw line. But you know, we'll see. And and their their basketball IQ is going to be really high. And it's it's certainly a fascinating team. And you know, there, there's never a dull moment around this crew. But uh, yeah, it's uh it's it's certainly got its strengths strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, I think I think what I was going to say, um, they'll finally have a, a chance to kind of grow together, and I think that was one thing that the, you know, sort of Butler, Tobias era never had, and you know I think that's why a lot of people, myself included to some degree, like I had a lot of concern about the long term of both of those contracts, um, both Tobias and we didn't really talk much about Tobias's contract. I think it's a I think it's an overpay. Um, I don't think he is a 30% of your cap quality player. And I worry about that. Um, you know, we'll see. I thought, I always thought it was going to take that to bring him back, but I do worry about that contract. But I, you know, I think if you looked at running it back, first of all, you looked at it and it would be hard to get the kind of depth that they currently had while letting one of those guys go because it was just difficult to replace. And like I said, I think the, the sign and trade helped resolve some of that, especially when you get a, a legitimate starter, a legitimate, hopefully long-term starter on a, a great contract. But, you know, I think if you would have said, okay, well, maybe the, the third or the fourth and the fifth year of that Butler contract was incredibly scary, you mitigated that somewhat, or at least you, you took the risk because you hope that this team that played well and a starting lineup that played well and that challenged the Raptors, could grow into more than they currently were as they, you know, sort of developed together. And now with this team, you've got, you know, Embiid at 25, Simmons at 22, um, Richardson at 25, Harris at 27, and then, and then Al Horford and all signed up. You know, we assume that the Simmons extension is going to happen relatively soon here in the next couple of weeks. Embiid's locked in, um, uh, Richardson has two more years and, and Tobias now has, has five. Like hopefully this core can grow together and maybe some of these not only can players grow and become something they're currently not, but also the team can develop that kind of chemistry and cohesion where they can overcome some of these weaknesses, um, that we're talking about because I do think there is a, a lot of talent. Like I said, the more I thought about it, the more it's just you, you buy into smart players that you can count on in the locker room who also have that kind of versatility. And does that mean that this team doesn't have weaknesses? No. Does that mean that I don't worry about the offensive fit? No, of course not. But I think there are reasons to buy in and, and, and defensively for sure. Yeah. And, and Brett Brown is going to set the world record for coaching talented teams that don't always fit together. Uh, <laughs> he, he has an easy job and a tough job yes. he, at, at basically all times. Really throughout his whole career, uh, in terms of what the expectations were, uh, you know, you know, throughout this. But yeah, it's, uh, he's got his work cut out for him on the offensive end. Yep. No, I think it really is amazing. The more I thought about it, the Jimmy, um, Josh Richardson trade, I have the least reservations about the Tobias Harris contract. I'm a little concerned about, and I do wonder, you know, whether I, the one hypothetical I always brought up was Malcolm Brogdon. Um, and for him to be traded at 485, uh, that surprised me a little bit. And I do wonder whether he would have been a, a better resource, better use of resources 
than either Tobias or even Al Horford. And I think Al Horford's a much better player currently. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of banking on that. But just as a 26-year-old, that's sort of like the only one I really question. I also brought up sort of taking Al Horford's, and this was in my column on, what, Sunday, I guess it was, splitting that Al Horford contract up into um, Danny Green and Patrick Beverly. Like you said, that doesn't solve your shot creation uh, deficiency. But I, that would have been interesting. So I don't want to say that there is no room to question these moves. But the more we've gotten removed from it and the more I've had time to think about it, there are just things that I am hopeful for. And we'll see exactly whether or not those strengths or those weaknesses end up becoming uh, more pronounced. It's certainly the weirdest roster construction in the NBA. It's, it's, I mean, it's 2019. And, and, and like if this was – well, I was going to say it, 15 years ago, this still would have been weird because you would have had a, a, a point guard who didn't shoot, which wasn't unheard of but wasn't – a standard, uh, but now when you've got, you know, S- Embiid and Horford and Simmons and Harris, like those are four guys who are six ten or taller. That's interesting. Yeah, and the other guy's six six. Yep, really weird. Lots of oh oh, uh, poor one out for Anheis Pesetchnik. Um Sixers renounced his rights today. Pesetchnik and his agent wanted to come overseas. That meant the Sixers would have had to submit a required tender. Basically, if a first-round draft pick doesn't sign paperwork saying he does not want to play in the NBA, that he's going to play in a an overseas league or a foreign league, then the Sixers have to submit a required tender that would have taken up a roster spot and um, and a, a cap hit. And rather than do that, they renounced his rights and set him free and uh, that trade up into 25th pick. Uh, will all be for not, but don't cry because it's over. Oh, and Smile they, because they, it they traded um, Matthias Lasort today too. So that that yeah, there goes there goes a big hit to their rights held non prospects. Jonah Bolden, you're <laughs> left. <laughs> all right, sounds good. I think that is good. I did not expect for us to talk for an hour. I felt like we probably could have talked for an hour more, which means it's probably good to do another podcast coming up here in the next couple of days. Once again, most of these. Moves, not most of these moves. None of these moves can be official until the evening of July 6th. By that point, the Sixers will already be in Vegas for the start of the Summer League, which runs from the 5th through the 15th. We will not be out out there for all of it, but we will be out there for most of it, one of us too. That will be fun. But thank you, Rich, for jumping on. And we will talk to you soon. See you, man. Check is like the death breathing the sniper's breath. I exhale the yellow smoke a Buddha through righteous steps deep.